Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Glenn Leitner. And I'm Linda Leitner. The National Forest Service is proposing a forest management project for the Hoosier National Forest. The Forest Service is looking for public comment on their proposal to log 4,000 acres from the Hoosier National Forest. This includes 400 acres just south of the Charles C. Deem Wilderness Area in Monroe County. The project is called the Houston South Vegetation Management and Restoration Project. The Forest Service reports their goal is to improve forest health, promote oak and hickory ecosystems, and restore wildlife habitats. The project would involve logging and vegetation changes to the Hoosier National Forest with clear cutting expected to occur in the northwest corner of Jackson County and the northeast corner of Lawrence County, south of Lake Monroe. No official decisions have been made on the status of the project. However, Forest Service officials are inviting the public to comment on their proposal. If approved, the Forest Service hopes to reduce the amount of non-native pine trees and to diversify ground vegetation. Currently, the Forest Service, a federal organization in charge of natural resources, says Hoosier National Forest is dominated in areas by non-native pine trees, which block out native ground bushes, trees, and shrubs. The Forest Service hopes that by clearing pinewood-dominated areas, they'll be able to enhance the ecosystems of the Hoosier. The Forest Service has stated it is also considering repairing roads, trails, and eroded areas in and around Hoosier National Forest. But the Houston South Restoration Project isn't without its controversies. Environmentalists in the area have already gone head-to-head against the Indiana Department of Natural Resources' decision to log Yellowwood State Forest at this time last year. Jeff Stant, executive director of the Indiana Forest Alliance, says the proposed clear-cutting of some 400 acres south of Lake Monroe will harm area water quality and hurt, rather than help, the ecosystem. Stant says that the logging should instead replicate what will happen naturally to the forest over time. Clear cutting, which is the cutting of all trees in an area, he says will not accomplish that. The Forest Service took public comment on the proposal until December 26th. District Ranger Michelle Padwani says her office is still accepting public comment. If the project is ultimately approved, the Forest Service says it will be carried out in phases over a 10-year period. Written comments may be submitted by letter, email, or fax. The Forest Service asks anyone who leaves a comment to include their names, addresses, telephones, and email if available. The Forest Service asks that you include Houston South Vegetation Management and Restoration Project in your comment as well. 
The Indiana Department of Natural Resources expects more sightings of coyotes this winter. Most young coyotes leave their parents to start looking for new homes during winter. The DNR reports coyote breeding season starts in January and coyotes may be more mobile during that time. Coyotes are common in Indiana, appearing in both rural and urban areas. The DNR reports coyotes like to eat rodents and rabbits that thrive near civilization, which they say helps to control the rodent population in urban areas. Coyotes' diet is not limited to rodents as they will eat almost anything. The DNR has warned people to secure their garbage, not leave pet food or bird feeders outside, and pick up fruit from trees. If you need to scare away a coyote, you should make a lot of noise and wave your arms around. Throwing something can also work as long as it's not something the coyote may take for food. The DNR cautions that you should never corner or chase a coyote and always make sure they have a clear path to escape. On December 6th, the Trump administration moved to ease regulations on oil and gas drilling in the American West. The deregulation affects land set aside to protect the greater sage grouse, a species with a rapidly declining population. Documents from the Department of the Interior detail the deregulation. The Trump administration would open public lands to lease and provide waivers for drilling in sage grouse habitat. It would also remove restrictive rules from 13,000 square miles of land considered essential to the species' survival. The Department of the Interior says the move would allow states to manage public lands more flexibly. Critics voiced concern about the plan, saying it could disrupt the birds' breeding grounds and populations. The greater sage grouse populations are considered near-threatened. A survey of registered U.S. voters found that 81% of them support a Green New Deal. The survey was conducted by the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. A Green New Deal would purportedly transition to 100% renewable energy and provide jobs in the renewable energy sector. Progressive Democratic legislators, most notably newly elected Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, are promoting the plan. 92% of surveyed Democrats supported a Green New Deal, as did 64% of all Republicans and 57% of conservative Republicans. 82% of the respondents hadn't heard of the Green New Deal before being surveyed. A different survey from Data for Progress found extensive support for a green jobs program with 98% of Democrats and 66% of Republicans for it. The same poll found that 66% of respondents overall supported a green jobs guarantee, either somewhat or strongly. Scientists are developing more drought-resistant crops in the face of climate change. A recent example of this is the peanut. A study from North Carolina State University examined types of peanuts that were drought-resistant. While the plant is usually resistant to some degree, the researchers are working to find the type that is best. Finding this type of peanut could have important implications for the future of agriculture. Drought resistance is important because of climate change, which is predicted to reduce rainfall frequency in many places. The next step for the researchers is to look at nitrogen fixation. Usually, peanut plants get their nitrogen through microbes in the soil. 
However, dry conditions stop this process. The North Carolina State team will attempt to figure out a process to keep reintroducing nitrogen to the soil. Researchers at the University of Portsmouth are using plant fibers as a manufacturing material in cars. The research team has repurposed date palm fiber for non-structural uses like bumpers. The material performs better in low-speed impact tests than standard automotive materials. The plant fiber is also completely biodegradable. Date palms have been targeted for this research. They are abundant and produce a lot of waste. Usually this waste is burned or put into landfills. Researchers hope that repurposing the plant fiber will reduce the waste. For WFHB, I'm Glenn Leitner. And I'm Linda Leitner. We love to hear from our listeners. Contact us about stories we've aired or if you have ideas for future stories. Please send emails to earth at wfhb.org. And now it's time for Get Out and Hike, our segment exploring the trails and natural areas of Indiana. This is Get Out and Hike, and I'm Jan Walker. Hi, I'm Kathy Meyer. I'm a naturalist from Monroe County Parks and Recreation, and I'd like to tell you about the Karsh Farm Greenway, which is a trail that was opened in 2014. It's four and a half miles long now, but eventually will be extended to Ellettsville, and it will link up with the Heritage Trail in Ellettsville to almost double the length of that trail. So if you went out and back, you'd be doing uh, 15 miles or so. The, uh, the trail itself starts near the splash pad and the playscape at Cars Farm Park. There's a big parking lot there, restrooms, water facilities, and the whole trail is paved. There are some gentle rolling hills, but uh, it is accessible. There are a few street crossings at uh, places where there are lights and signs, so it's safe to cross. And the trail is really enjoyed by people of all ages. I see lots of people with their kids on their bicycles and strollers, joggers, uh, folks of all ages and shapes and sizes can get out and enjoy it. And it goes uh, along the road in places, but uh, parts of it cut through woods and along farm fields and behind Highland Park School, Grandview School, and links a lot of destinations, including the Northwest Center for the YMCA is a, a little spur trail off to the side of that. It has mile markers every every quarter mile, so if there are any safety concerns or emergencies you need to report, you can phone in and give them a, a mile marker for your location. And there is a Facebook page that folks might be interested called the Friends of Monroe County Greenways, and that would be a good place to go to get updates about any kind of progress on the Karsh Farm Greenway or the other trails in the county system, which is really starting to expand. So I hope you get out this winter and take a walk on a nice clear trail and see part of Monroe County. Thank you. Um, would there be any benches or, and also um, could someone maybe in a motorized wheelchair uh, access these trails? Yes, uh, there are a few benches along the way. There are also some kiosks with some historic signs, interpretive signs along the way. The uh, crossings are all uh, at grade, accessible crossings. So uh, except for somewhat hilly spots, it would be easy to, to get through with, uh, with motorized wheelchairs or, or other wheeled vehicles. 
In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Norm Holy speaks with Tufts Professor of International Environmental Policy, William Mumaw, about global carbon emissions and the roles of forests. This is Norm Holy for WFHP, and today I am interviewing Professor William Huma, who is emeritus at Tufts University. He's an expert in many areas, but today I want to ask him just about the importance of forests globally in terms of maintaining carbon balance. Could you comment on that? If you look at the emissions that are coming from forests and compare them to national regions, that the emissions from those forests that we're having right now, well, we put us around the European Union. In other words, China's the biggest emitter, the U.S. is second, the European Union is third, and the, defo- and the, the carbon coming from all forests would be probably about tied with the European Union. So it's not an insignificant amount of emissions that we're seeing from forests right now. Let me ask you about forest management. Management. Um, how how well are U.S. forests being managed? Well, I mean, management's an interesting interesting point. If you look at at where the greatest carbon is stored, it is in the the forests that have been really been managed the least, in the sense of our going in and intervening are the ones that store the most carbon. On the other hand, having spent 400 years or so manipulating the forest for our own purposes, and uh, forests provide us with, I mean, one of the services that forests provide are forest products. Forests were also cleared, obviously, in your part of the country uh, for agriculture, and that's provided us with very abundant agriculture. On the other hand, in the remaining forest, uh, there is the potential to allow them to grow to a scale that will absorb a great deal of carbon as carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and store it in various fuel uh, carbon containing molecules growing trees and in the soil an older forest there is more carbon stored in the soils of a forest than in the standing stock of trees and and what happens is a lot of that carbon disappears from the soils when a forest is cut so it's not just the carbon that's in the woods the carbon in the soils that's important we've not done a very good job of, of dealing with that so forests provide forest products they also provide this incredibly important function of regulating the the climate system by storing carbon in the soils and in the trees. Forests also provide us with uh, flood control. One of the reasons the Mississippi Valley floods so much is because we we removed all those forests. And then we've had to build very expensive, hard structures to uh, handle those floods and we don't always that doesn't always work they they provide clean water pure water and and regulate its its, its flow as i've indicated uh, forests uh, provide us uh, with cleaner air they uh, provide us with recreation and it's interesting that in the u.s forest service the multiple use sustained yield act uh, all of those things are talked about sustained yield only refers to the harvesting for timber and there is of course no mention of the carbon storage function and and so we, we we've been blinded to, to this purpose until very recently now here in indiana one of the arguments for cutting the are the state forests in terms of state managed forests argument is that by cutting out these old trees that are pretty much uh, you know, mature, then you'll have new growth and you'll get faster carbon capture. Well, see, the point is carbon is either in the trees or it's in the atmosphere. There are older trees that are about to die. Some forests argue, well, we could harvest those and that could be our source of timber. However, that carbon stock in the forest is greater than it will be in the finished products. When, a, when, a, when a, Of course, when a tree dies, it does 
slowly decay and release carbon dioxide back to the atmosphere. But it's a quick, the argument that a younger forest will absorb more rapidly, first of all, that only occurs about halfway through its, or somewhere halfway, around halfway through its growth cycle that it's absorbing more rapidly. Little tiny saplings do not absorb very much carbon. So you have many years before you get back to anything like the carbon removal rate that you had before. If, you, if we keep harvesting on a short rotation uh, cycle, there is always less carbon in the forest than there is in the atmosphere. When we harvest trees for, for timber, the utilization is, is actually relatively low. I mean, less than half of what is in a tree ends up in a wood product, if you count the roots and everything as well. You're, you're right to be uncomfortable with that argument. What we should be looking at is how large is our carbon stock in the forest? Because that's carbon that's not in the atmosphere. The practice of clear-cutting, we don't do much of that in Indiana. I mean, there are small areas, maybe three, four, five acres that are clear-cut, but typically it's more selective. What do you think of the practice of clear-cutting? I, I think it's maybe a few cases where it is justified for purposes, but it's mostly for commercial purposes. It's cheaper to do. And it, but from a carbon point of view, from a future of our forest for all purposes, it is not a useful thing to do. Selective cutting, this has to be done very carefully because is it selection by size or is it selection by species? Because if it's selection by species, we high-grade forests. That is, we take the valuable cherry trees, for example, for wood or the oak trees. So we end up with a forest that has a very skewed species distribution. So then all the other functions of forests are compromised. The animals they support, uh, the recreational opportunities, the, and in fact, the dynamics of the forest is compromised because one of the things about forests as opposed to tree plantations is the mix of species in a forest have synergistic effects. That is, some, the presence of some species increases the growth rate of other species. An experiment that was done in Germany discovered that they were, when they were growing these pine plantations, they were weeding out, weeding out, notice the term, uh, all the birch trees that came in. In another plot, they just let the, birch, the weed birch trees come in, which had no commercial value. And in fact, the growth rate of the pine trees increased because of something in the chemistry and the, the fungi and things in the soils uh, was enhanced by the birch trees. So the notion that we you know, treat it like corn and we want to get rid of weeds is, is, is a mistake when it comes to a multidimensional uh, process uh, like a forest. I'd like to just ask you one final question. Is there anything else you'd like to comment on in terms of the forest, any aspect of forest information that, that you'd really like to pass along to our listeners? Well, as I said before, it, we really need to think of forest as more than either just a commercial product or even as a place to store carbon. Uh, they are uh, amazing systems that host a remarkable number of species, the greatest biological diversity, that is the most number of species of plants and animals occur in our forests. We eliminate them at our peril. And if we treat all of them as though they are simply a commodity, a commercial process, it will be to our detriment. And just one final thing is that internationally, the world agreed that the temperature should not rise by more than about uh, 3.8 degrees degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial levels. 
it's now very clear. And, and by the way, that would we, we are already halfway there, just so you know. So what we're seeing now is with half that. Going to double where we are now is pretty is a pretty frightening prospect. Understanding of the scientific community is quite clear that we cannot even stay below that level unless we simultaneously bring our emissions from fossil fuels and other sources down of the carbon dioxide and simultaneously increase the removal rate of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere by forests and by improving our agricultural practices. I mean, there's a huge potential to store more carbon in agricultural soils, and that would increase productivity, manage water better, less use of agricultural inputs. It would save farmers money. We would produce more food. We would not need to cut more forest for more agricultural land to feed more people. So I think forests are hugely important and central to our efforts to address climate change. I'd like to thank Professor William Muma for his comments on the importance of forests and other aspects of climate change. Thank you very much. Are you looking for a way to take action on environmental issues? EcoReport is seeking volunteer reporters to contribute short headline news stories as well as feature interviews. We provide all the technical training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. Give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And it's time for In Nature. I'm Kaylin Huffman Brower. This segment of In Nature is about the endangered species, the hellbender. Hellbender, also known as mud devil or mud dog, is the largest aquatic salamander in the United States. Its average size is 12 to 15 inches, but can be as long as 29 inches. It has a flat head, wrinkled body, and a paddle-shaped tail. It's usually dark gray or brown with irregular dark spots along the back. They can live up to 50 years in the wild. It's nocturnal and can be found slowly crawling across the bottoms of clear, silt-free mountain streams from south New York across to Indiana and to north Alabama. They feed on crayfish, small fish, tadpoles, toads, and water snakes. They absorb oxygen from the water through their skin. In the daytime, they can be found hiding under rocks on the riverbed. Though some populations remain healthy, the hellbender is listed as endangered in Indiana, mainly due to habitat loss and degradation from pollution. Silting caused by agricultural practices and construction work and damming of rivers and streams eliminates critical riffle areas and lowers oxygen content. Fishermen need to be educated that they are not poisonous.
This week in our listening area, learn all about the woodpeckers of Indiana at Brown County State Park on Saturday, December 29th from 2 to 2.45 p.m. Find out how the amazing ladderback, downy, pileated, and the red-headed woodpeckers really are. A presentation about the owls of Indiana will be given at Spring Mill State Park on Sunday, December 30th from 1 to 2.45 p.m. Hear about Indiana's owls and then join the naturalist for a one-mile hike around the lake. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center. A bridges, tunnels, and interesting places hike will take place at Brown County State Park on Tuesday, January 1st from 11 a.m. to noon. Meet at the Abe Martin Lodge to hike down Trail 3 and see the oldest bridge in Indiana. Participants will also visit a tunnel and learn about some interesting places in Brown County. Be sure to dress for the weather. There will be a first day hike at Spring Mill State Park on Tuesday, January 1st from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Start the new year with a beautiful lake hike. Learn the history of the lake and much more. Meet at the Inn Front Patio. McCormick's Crete State Park will lead a Christmas bird count on Saturday, January 5th, beginning at 7.30 a.m. Join volunteer birders to identify and count the birds in the park. Be sure to bundle up and meet at the Canyon Inn. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Linda Green, Norm Holy, and Sarah Vaughn. This week's In Nature was written by Juliana Daly. Andrew Brown, Kaylin Huffman-Brower, and Jan Walker edited the script. Norm Holy produced our feature. Kirsten Payton engineered today's show. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Jan Walker is our producer. Executive producer is Wes Martin. Tune in on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. and Fridays at 5 p.m. for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news. You can also access news, feature audio, and get out and hike episodes anytime at wfhb.org. For WFHB, I'm Glenn Leitner. And I'm Linda Leitner. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to The Eco Report, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.
Thank you.